Welcome to Situational Awareness Tactics Podcast. This podcast provides the crucial art of understanding current elements in an environment to increase your safety and survival. Here's your host, forensic psychologist and consultant, Dr. Carlos. Welcome back, folks. We have one of my favorite guests. We've had him. This is our third time. It's Alan Shibaro, former Green Beret. He was in the military for almost a decade, five years as a Green Beret. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a black belt in judo. It took over four years, I think, of wrestling. We're going to find out more about that in a little bit as well. We're going to be talking about self-defense, some of his days in the military. We're going to talk about his programs. You can find more about him at combatbase.com texas.com combatbasetexas.com he offers all kinds of classes there he has classes for jiu-jitsu judo wrestling fitness he also has no gi which i really like some studios are starting to do that he's one of those studios and that's really uh, something we're going to be talking about today more about street fighting as well and how relevant is judo and jiu-jitsu for that and wrestling actually so before we get started, you know what to do, folks. Make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know, we like it. Let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the show, Alan Shabaro. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure to be. Yeah, it's always great to have you back. And it's, um, like I said, I was talking earlier before the show where I was talking about judo. And as I started doing more and more research about urban combatives and self-defense and I really realized how much judo could play a big role for people, but it just kind of always under the radar. Nobody seems to pick it up. But what I want to start off with you is I know just a little background. You said you start off with jujitsu first. No, what did you start off with? Wrestling, jujitsu, or judo first? So I started with jujitsu first. Um, after it was like a whole slew of different ones that I was trying to find which martial art worked for me. But uh, as I continued and trial and error, one thing would fail. Um, I just move on to the next. And uh, jiu-jitsu was the one thing for the time uh, type of body that I had. I was 145 pounds, didn't know anything else. I didn't have strength or speed. Um, but as long as I could understand the concepts of uh, the movements, it, it started to sink in really quick. And it was very applicable to you know, reality. Um, so it, it wasn't like a lot of flash and, and kicks. Um, so it's, it's very, um, unless you're watching highlights, it's kind of boring. It, I'll be honest. 
because it's so, uh, um, there's so much detail. There's so many, you know, intricate movements that if you're watching like high level, it's not uh, really big movements. And so it doesn't catch the eye. So it kind of seems that way. Um, but jujitsu, um, and then when I started competing in jujitsu, I started realizing I need to learn how to take people down. And, uh, that's when I started in wrestling, um, just for jujitsu. So I never wrestled in high school. I don't even know the wrestling rules. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's where I got into the wrestling was for jujitsu. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that uh, I have a family member now. He's about five and he's, he's starting, he's doing jujitsu now for about a year and he's doing very, very well. But you mentioned the boring component of it. If you're watching it and you're right, it's kind of like baseball reminds me. I'm a big baseball fan and nobody likes to watch baseball with me. (laughs) But what I learned over the time is that they don't understand the intricacies of baseball. Once you start figuring out what that runner is looking for on first base, what the catcher is looking for, and they realize there's a game that you can't see on the surface. There's so much else going on. Then they started getting more into it. And I found myself doing the same thing with jujitsu. So I started realizing, why is he putting his hand there? What is this movement over here? Then I started getting really into it and realizing, wow, there's much more to this. I'm just not knowledgeable enough to know. There is. Um, I mean, to the point where, and this is one of the reasons why I've been in this as long as I have is it's a, no matter how long you've been doing it, there's something always new. It's always evolving. Um, and it could be as simple as moving your elbow three inches to the left over his knee, you know, pushing down instead of pulling. And that'll change the entire um, series of techniques that follow after that. So you're right. There, there's a lot of different things that are out there that if people understood the, the true intricacies involved, would probably change their mind on it. Absolutely. I think so. It's funny because you mentioned that little grabs, the way you grab with your hand, if you wrap your thumb around, if you do the little monkey grab, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm looking at that going, I never saw that before. And it's, wow, now I get it. Um, now, what got you into judo though? So um, I was doing really well with the takedowns um, for competition in jiu-jitsu with just a wrestling background. Um, I, I took um i took the time to develop a gi version of wrestling for jiu-jitsu um utilizing the gi to snap down instead of using behind the neck um grabbing onto the gi sleeve to stuff the arm instead of grabbing the wrist so uh, i just took um the the fundamentals of wrestling and applied it to jiu-jitsu and it worked phenomenal until I met, uh, met up with a guy in the finals in the 2013 Pan Ams, and I lost by referee's decision. So that's probably one of the most disappointing ways to lose. And he literally shut down my entire game, my whole stand-up game, which has never happened to me, um, just using judo grips and uh, judo control with the sleeve because that's – one of the most um, paramount things to, to, to establish is your grips. So he was really good at it. Um, locked him down every time I was trying to like shoot in, he would just have control of the lapel or the sleeve and I couldn't get a grip. I couldn't get an angle and it was just frustrating. So literally, I don't even think I got my medal yet. I was still kind of like in the, the waiting and I called a friend of mine. I'm like, Hey man, 
I, I need to get with you to start some judo, man. This, this, and I told him what happened. I was like, this is never going to happen again. And, uh, that's how it started. And I just continued going. And, um, one thing led to the next and it just became addictive and I really enjoyed the sport. And before I knew it, I started competing in it and I'm still, still doing it. <laughs> I know. I think you're saying you're competing at what world next coming up. Uh, September 7th, I'll be in Poland in Krakow to compete in the IJF uh, World Championships, Veterans World Championships. Wow. You know, it's interesting that I've talked to a wrestler a couple of days ago, I think, and we were talking about wrestling, jiu-jitsu, and judo. And he found it, he found it really easy to go from jiu-jitsu to judo. He found that it was really easy to transition. He found the moves really simple to do, tosses. Did you find the same thing? In certain aspects, yes. Um, so if you're taking judo and placing it just for the use of jiu-jitsu, it, it is a very, very smooth and simple transition um, if you have the right instructor to kind of guide you through that. Um, but keeping in mind, they're two different sports. So what you're taking from judo and applying it to jujitsu. And if you try to take what you've learned and apply it back into judo, it might be illegal. Um, or you might find yourself in a, in a, a, a very, uh, difficult predicament, um, landing wrong or turning wrong, um, which might not be the case in jujitsu, um, but is in judo, um, one of the most common ones is you can get pinned in judo. So if you pin someone down for, they just recently changed the rules uh, this year, but I think it's still 25 seconds or 20 seconds. Don't quote me on that. Um, then you can actually win by epon by pin. In jujitsu, that doesn't exist. So a lot of the judokas, they roll over to their belly, which in jujitsu, that is, like unheard of you, you don't do that ever <laughs> so they're always the, the one thing to keep in mind yes they can definitely benefit both sports absolutely but they need if you're going to train and it doesn't mean it's going to translate to the other sport you have to train that rule set that's interesting i know again like my, my family member who's five i'm looking at wondering how much of a benefit judo would be for him you know i'm thinking just be able to get the throws down, ignoring everything else on the ground, <laughs> maybe working on that. Cause you were under Machado, weren't you? For Yes. Um, I got my black belt from Carlos Machado in 2004. Okay. I, I wanted to make sure people understood that too. Cause sometimes people who are more familiar with jujitsu will definitely recognize the names like Machado and Hebero and Gracie and so forth. I think now you got, what is it? The, some of the new guys on the block too, the Mendez brothers, I think they're kind of, They've been around for a little while. They've been around for a while. Uh, very well established. Um, they're kind of, uh, I, I never met them, um, but for I understand, they're kind of like the um, the Ritz-Carlton type jujitsu academies. Um, they're, they're, don't get me wrong, they're beautiful, but they literally look like um, art galleries. And I think it's by design. So it, it's literally like an art for an art type thing. Um, but yeah, they've been around for a while. Phenomenal jujitsu, um, very applicable. I think he's a five or six time world champion. Um, um, both of them are phenomenal. Yeah, that's amazing. 
No, I think I've crossed by their studio a couple of times and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good point. Way to put it. Ritz <laughs> Carlton's the nicest one I've ever seen. Um, let me ask you this then. In the wrestling, how was wrestling for you in jiu-jitsu? My brother showed me a video a while back ago of Mark Schultz, the, the champion wrestler, who went going against Hicks and Gracie. Well, actually, not a video. It was a conversation they were having. Nobody's got that video. Every time I see a video, everybody freaks out. Where's the video? But um, <laughs> it was a conversation between them. And Hickson claims that, that was the, his, most, his most difficult opponent ever was Mark Schultz. When you hear the story, you kind of think, wow, if this guy just knew a few submissions, I think Hickson might have been in big trouble. Because <laughs> this guy seemed to give him a lot of work. How was it for you to go from, to mix those two together, jiu-jitsu and wrestling? Did you find it helped? It complemented? Um, so, I, and I, I never competed in wrestling, so yeah. I don't know to, I've never experienced that, that high level or, or just kind of isolating wrestling. It, it always was wrestling for jujitsu. Um, the coaches that I had, uh, there were two brothers. Um, one of them was a two-time Iranian national champion in Greco-Roman and his brother was, um, I think a two or three time national champion in freestyle um both from iran um phenomenal wrestlers i mean incredible um and because they both did jiu-jitsu they were able to kind of like cherry pick the things that worked especially you know starting to uh, having like a very baseline um double leg single leg uh heel picks snaps things like that um and incorporate that for jujitsu, like how you're going to land, um, the dangers that, that fall along with it too, is like, for example, uh, a double leg or even a single leg, a high crotch single leg, when you're going on the inside and your head is down, um, especially with a guillon is very high possibility for a choke, uh, because you're literally kind of bringing your head right to where it needs to be. So, if the person has experience, especially with wrestlers and can identify a wrestler, um, it, it, that, that, that probability goes up way higher. Um, but again, the, there's small things that you can do to adapt wrestling to jujitsu to avoid those pitfalls. So all in all, uh, I mean, wrestling is a phenomenal combination to have with jujitsu, whether gi or no gi, both. What do you think are the strengths from all from three? And this might be a difficult question to answer, but what are the strengths you think if you could highlight them? Is it the takedowns from the wrestling, the flips and the throws from judo, the submissions and the whole, what do you think are some of the highlights of each one? You say, yeah, if you put all these together, you got yourself one nasty person. So you're right. That is a bit tricky. Um, I'll do. <laughs> um, wrestling is the sport of uh, grappling without cloth. Um, judo is the art of um, takedowns with cloth. Um, now, wrestling has submissions, not that they're legal, but they're kind of hidden in there and you can tap people out if you wanted to. Um, but it's primarily for getting to a position. That's the end game. For judo and jujitsu, um, the end game for sport competitive jujitsu um, is there's two things, submission or points. So the main goal is submission. 
secondary is points. In judo, there's three ways of winning. You can win by epon, that perfect throw. Um, you can win by pin, or you can win by submission. So they each have different goals, some fewer, some more. Um, but the, the main focus is in wrestling to get the person down in a position where you can dominate and hold them in that position um, for jujitsu is manipulating the technique to get the uh, advantage by being able to um, apply a submission. Um, regardless of what position, upside down, on top, bottom, that's the beauty of it. Um, judo is, um, has three different ways of winning, um, but the main primary uh, uh, focus of judo is in the throws. Not to say that it's, it, you can win either way, but primarily it is the throw. And I mean by either way, as in uh, submission, pin, or throw. Okay. And um, I guess we'll actually remind everybody again, we're talking to Alan Shabaro, S-H-E-B-A-R-O. You can find more information about him at CombatBaseTexas.com. It's CombatBaseTexas.com. He has classes there for jiu-jitsu, judo, wrestling, and fitness. Check out the schedule online. He's got it all there. If, you can, if you're around that neighborhood or you're visiting, great place to stop by. Um, okay, now I'm going to take it away from the competitive world for a minute. Actually, no, before I do that, before we do, because I know we're going to head right to the self-defense in a second, but before we do that, if you have somebody coming to see you, um, do you, I guess you're going to have to ask them which ones they want to do. And do you have a recommendation depending on the person's experience level, age, physicality, anything like that? What are you looking for in the client? Be coachable. Everything else I can deal with. So if you're coachable, um, and I have people that come in with wrestling backgrounds, judo backgrounds, no background. Um, now, there's going to be their advantage to soul three. I've actually seen someone has no background, pick up the sport and just do phenomenal along the way. No background, just as fast as the wrestler or the judo guy. Um, because sometimes the wrestler will be hanging on to what he's done for the longest time which in this sport uh, or in this art will get you in trouble. And the same thing with judo. See a lot of judokas, they roll over in their belly. You know, they have to break themselves of that habit. Uh, they keep thinking they're going to get pinned. They're going to get pinned. So they roll over. Um, so it's, and I and only say bad habit because it's not that sport. So they maintain those bad habits in a different sport that they're trying to succeed in. So that's when it actually doesn't work for you when, when you have to kind of let things go um, because it is a skill set that's very, very similar. I mean, it's just different techniques. They're both on the ground. They both have to do with pulling and gripping. They both have to do with takedowns um, at judo and wrestling. Um, but there is, there is a monumental difference when you're trying to take that and apply it to a different sport. You know, you remind me of something now with the pulling and pushing kind of thing. I know in jiu-jitsu, a lot of it, they also bait you. And I've seen wrestling bait you as well. They're going to, they kind of fake, they're going to grab the one leg. So you put the other leg out, then they grab that instead. Does judo have any kind of baiting like that? I can't remember. Oh, it's, it's all about the cell. You'll hear that all oh. the time. You, it's, 
Um, that's how you get your best throws, hands down. Um, and the judo realm, the setup is called um, Kazushi. And it's basically getting them off balance, getting them prepped for a throw. Um, and you get that with the deception of movements, whether it's raising up your leg um, in their direction and then last minute turning your back so you can uh, pick them up over your back. Um, the one I do the most is uh, I fake that I'm trying to bring them forward with a forward throw and I'll, and I'll sell it so hard that I'm almost doing it, but I know he's recovering. And then on the second time or the third attempt, I'll change directions and go backwards. And they end up going, helping me out with it because they think I'm going forward again. <laughs> it's classic. I watch it. I have to pay attention more to the judo fights and see how that's, how's that operating. Cause I know I see it a lot with the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu fights. Now we'll take it over, I guess. Um, I'll try to portray this sometimes like as clients coming to visit you for the first time. So if somebody comes, we'll say me, I'm 50 years old. I come there, love to go there actually, but I come there and I say, hey, uh, Alan, I wanted something for self-defense. I'm not looking to get a, a belt in jiu-jitsu or judo or whatever, but I'm looking to learn how to defend myself. What would you recommend and where do we start? Um. <laughs> If that's all the information I have, then I would say initially start with jujitsu. Um, that is the most unknown of all three. Um, now, not to say that judo or uh, wrestling don't offer the same benefits, but um, the most uh, complex or unknown, I guess, um, and seems complex when you've never done it, is movements on the ground. I mean, if you think about it from the time that you learn how to walk, you are discouraged from being on the ground anymore. You know, you six, seven years old, what are you doing playing on the ground? Get up, you're getting yourself dirty. And now when the guys come in, I'm literally telling you for hours in a day, you're just going to be on the ground. And there's a whole new world that you have to get used to. Um, and just how to move on the grounds, how to spin, how to rotate, how to get the leverage, where to move your hips. Oh, the hips, 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 hips. Um, and it just, it, people don't realize um, how many angles they can create on the ground um, until they've actually experienced it and have gone through it a little bit and start to explore it for themselves. Um, because it's not, it, it looks very foreign. It looks very, um, I, I keep saying complex, but it, it looks almost confusing. Um, because you don't know where and it, it goes against, you know, your basic logic and understanding of, of, well, I'm trying to get him here. Why isn't he moving? Because he yeah, moved down, but then he's going to move down and I need to move up. I'm like, yes, but he's going to react. And he, so you have to go through the explanation and then they get it. And, and once they experience it, they're like, ah, they have these, all these aha moments. And those are the parts I call them Miyagi moments. Those are the ones that I live for. I love seeing people go through those. <laughs> yeah, I think yesterday was the, uh, the debut of Karate Kid 2, 1986, came out yesterday. Oh. Yeah, you believe that? 36 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, again, I know, folks, if you already are taking this, we'll get to more advanced stuff in a little bit as we're going to apply it to the streets. But right now, I know there's some people out there who may not have taken it or wondering what, what they should do. But, Alan, if you get somebody who's brand new, what are some of the challenges? I know sometimes people I've heard, they're not used to having other people up on top of them and trying to move them around. They don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. It's almost like a dad with a child 
and I don't mean this in a demeaning way in any way, but when a dad plays roughhouse with these little ones, whether four or five or six years old, the child's learning what they can and can't do, right? They know how hard to hit them, how hard to grab them. And they started learning aggression control, I guess you can say. But even as adults in jiu-jitsu, it seems like the same thing because you don't you know how hard you want to pull somebody or <laughs> how much you should apply a choke or anything like that. What are some of the things you see there that are challenging for newcomers? The one example that I give that everyone can relate to is think about taking um, a nervous, inexperienced teenager driving for the first time on the highway. <laughs> That's not a good uh, start. <laughs> and then, and, you know, a little bit of hydroplaning. Um, when they're new, everything is almost exaggerated. Um, so, you know, when they slam on the brakes and when they hit the gas and then when they turn the steering wheel, it, it's just over, mostly overdone. I rarely see um, people underpowering their movements, um, but because they don't, and it's, and it's not their fault. And I, I, I don't mean to pick on the bigger guys, um, but this is the reason why in, in my academy, there's a lot of different places that have this as well. Um, I have white and bluebell female um, athletes are not allowed to roll with male white belts. So the reason for that is, is that if I have a male that's 230 pounds, has no experience, and I put them against even a, a male white belt that's a third of the size, I mean, 130 pounds, 120 pounds, that person that's bigger doesn't have the technique so they're going to make it up with strength um power and if they have the speed they're going to try to utilize that in the situation because that's all they have the most common phrase you're going to hear and you can pretty much this is uh, echoing across every um academy relax relax because once you relax, you can actually see what you're doing. Things slow down. You can see the movements. You can see how the weight shifts and where you need to balance them out and how to pull and where to pull, um, when to push, uh, when to elevate, when to push back, when to sink your hips and so forth. You have that time to actually see it. But it takes a while. Um, it's not something that comes automatic because it's not instinctual. Uh, being on your feet because you've been on your feet is instinctual. Um, utilizing your feet um, as your hands or as uh, hooks, as ways to um, grab a leg and, and move it. Um, I mean, people ignore that half of their body for usually the first year, um, for the most part, just because, I mean, if you think about it, you always want to use your hands. So you bend over at the waist. Um, in jiu-jitsu, a general rule is once your head goes below your hips, bad things are about to happen. So they're much easier to get in submissions. They're much easier to get off balance. Um, but that in itself, um, you understand the general principles. Once they actually have an uh, understanding of those concepts, it's almost like they got supercharged in their journey in this. So all of a sudden now things are easier. They understand this. But when you're first starting, you don't have that. You don't have a, even a concept. So when that person has, for example, the hydroplaning, you now you know, okay, small movement here, small movement right. Okay, I got it fixed. We're good. Versus, oh, crap, I'm sliding. Let me jerk the steering wheel three times to the right. Oh, crap, they're coming three times to the left. That's the best way of kind of explaining it. And it's, and it's not their fault. That's all they know. 
And how, how often would you recommend them go into the studio to train with you, somebody novice like that? Um, <laughs> um, what is your goal? And question with a question, but, but what is the goal? We'll, we'll say somebody who wants to learn how to defend themselves, get better at jujitsu. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess they're not looking to be a black belt or anything. Uh, uh, yeah, I know it's kind of difficult. It's like a personal trainer. What's your goal? <laughs> That's what makes it complicated if I don't give you a goal. How about that one? Just somebody who wants to learn how to defend themselves pretty well on the ground, maybe be able to take some people down. Mm-hmm. How, would, how long would that be? What would you recommend there? Um, well, how long, how much you should train? I always suggest um, starting out with twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get in a habit of twice a week um, and you make that regular, you can pretty much differentiate um, whether it's going to be better for you to go another day, especially because age does play a factor. Your recovery plays a factor, your injuries, you know, and just like anything else, most things that people actually experience in jujitsu is realizing how um, how rigid they are and how, how horrible their flexibility is and how horrible their mobility is. Um, so once you actually realize that, don't just ignore it, actually start, you know, a- increasing your mobility, you know, start doing that before classes, after classes, um, just take seven to 10 minutes and you'll sleep better too. So it's actually a handstand. I'd started doing that and it works. Um, but listen to your body. If you're one of those guys that goes in there and you give 100% every night, you're going to need to recover. You have to. Um, or not, you're just, your, your performance will be worse the next day and you think you'll be able to do things, um, but you don't have the, the strength that you normally do. Um, and that's usually when injuries happen. So don't overdo it. Um, it's, you'll see eventually once you kind of like get hooked. If you get hooked, it's a lifelong thing. So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, it takes you 10 years or 15 years. You keep doing it. You're going to be a black belt. So the only thing you really have to focus on is just your training and let the time go. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because I have heard people say that before where they started taking it and they said, I'm just going to take it for a month or two. And all of a sudden it's four years later. <laughs> they can't stop. And I guess it goes back to your point originally where it's just, there's just so much to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't learn it all in one day. Let so, me ask you. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so you have the um, the highest of mount. Uh, like if you can make it past blue belt, you're usually in for life. Oh, really? But, yeah. You have a lot of the uh, you know blue belt missing persons. <laughs> um, once you get it, when I started, it made sense. I could understand it. When I started there wasn't much jujitsu in the U S at all. So if you just had a blue belt, it was enough for you to open up an Academy. You could legitimately open a place up just with a blue belt because I mean, you have like two years experience versus people who have zero. The problem was a lot of these places stopped training and just a blue belt. So by the time their students got up to their level, they had a wall yet other places that they were blue belt, but they were still training. So by the time the students were blue belts, they were purple belts. By the time they were purple belts, he was brown belt. So it, it was totally fine. Um, but usually if you can make it past blue belt, you're in. You're going to be there for, for life. 
you think it's true because I've heard this before. If you get a blue belt already, you can handle most people who have no experience at all. So if you get into a fight somewhere, you should be able to take care of that individual much better than you did before. Is that fair? Not a competition, though, just a street fight or something like that. So many variables. It's hard to say. For the most, I'd say yes. Um, but I would say probably about 75 to 80% you'll be able to handle. Okay. Yeah. And I know that you're right. It's complicated. It depends on the level of blue belt the person is and <laughs> height, weight, and everything else. On the day, it depends on the, the environment. Are you in, you know, are you fighting in an elevator? You know, are you fighting in an open space? Are you fighting where there's a lot of furniture? Because keep in mind, if you're training jujitsu, your primary is to get on the ground. Well, if you get pinned up against a wall, you'll never make it to the ground. So it doesn't work for every environment unless you've trained with every environment. So I don't like to, to say, yes, it'll work in every environment. You don't have to train every environment. It'll just work is completely false. That's a great segue to our other part. Now, as we go into street fighting, I guess, people who encounter an issue um, go into, you know, things can happen anywhere, bars, uh, any individual who maybe has some issues all of a sudden starts to pick a fight on. I think I just saw a video the other day, Beverly Hills, or somebody who just picked a fight with a guy for no apparent reason. And um, it was really bizarre. Um, I think it was a, I think it was a transient. So I'm assuming he might've been on something. I don't know. He ends up picking up a fight with the guy, but the guy keeps backpedaling, trying to get away from him, which I was kind of surprised why he just didn't run. <laughs> Because there's no way the other guy was catching him. And he ended up squaring off, and then they ended up getting into a, a, a fisticuffs. And the the victim ended up going to the ground because the, the, the transient was able to punch him. But it's interesting, too, because I see a lot of haymakers that fly in street yep. fights, too. So I guess let me I'm ask you that then. So before we get to the ground, what do you think about judo as a defense for streets? I've heard couple of things. I've heard great things about it. And then I'll, I'll throw you the negative too and see what you say as well. The negative is usually sometimes, Hey, you know, you flip him too hard. You'll crack his neck. I mean, you'll crack his head open. If you hit him on the concrete, so things like that, and I guess it also depends on the situation, but what are your thoughts about judo on the street? Um, I mean, it, it's, I would highly recommend it. Um, I think it's a phenomenal skill set to have for, for everyday self-defense. Um, that would be the only one that I would say, if you're not going to do jujitsu, do judo. Um, and it's nothing against wrestling. It's just in wrestling. It's the, the, the art of grappling without cloth and self-defense. And this is a point that, you know, I bring up, you know, in uh, no gi versus gi, um, what you're wearing right now, right? is the most common attire. You're wearing pants, you're wearing a shirt. Um, I mean, Northeast, you're wearing a jacket, you have a belt on. So the gi was actually created as clothing that wouldn't rip every time you trained. So it, it literally is just a way of training um, to assimilate the everyday environment that you're in. Uh, people kind of mistake that because it looks like a uniform. It's changed over time. But if you look at the original geese, they weren't much different than traditional kimonos. And hence why it was just the same name. And it just turned into a gi later on. Um, but it's traditionally still called a kimono. Um, but it's just thicker. So you don't rip your shirts every time you go into train. 
So for reality wise, judo, I think is a lot more beneficial in that sense, because you're learning how to manipulate um, their clothing to your advantage uh, for the setups, for the throws that you're trying to do. It's interesting because I know a lot of people will grab your clothes if they're mm-hmm. trying to start something. And that usually puts you right in their wheelhouse, right? Puts exactly. Right in your wheelhouse, right? Yes. And within, you know, because you have to have that closing of the distance. And once you, once you get a grip, you know, the spacing, you know, um, it, it just it goes right into your world. Yes. Let me ask you this. You mentioned a minute ago about context or the environment around you. What limitations does judo have? Same. Um, for example, in a crowded area, um, like, for example, if it was in an elevator, with a, you, you don't have the space to throw. Um, now you can use some of the techniques to pin them against the wall. Um, hmm. But your primary um, and most uh, dominant uh, skill set that you have from judo is eliminated. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, slippery. <laughs> Anything is slippery. Um, pretty much gone as well. Um, not to say any, I say gone. I, I mean, there are some things that you can do, but you're drastically limited. Um, so in the rain, very complicated in the rain. Um, it depends on your footing. So, I mean, if your footing is, you can still grip your feet because you need to be able to pivot, lift, you know, and, and quick movements. Um, so that could be uh, a, a huge factor. Um, and it also depends on, uh, for example, like furniture. Um, so, I mean, breaking someone's neck, you know, being thrown is a reality. Um, if you actually know judo that you're actually throwing them on their back. Um, very, very rarely. I've been doing judo for seven years now, and I've never been thrown on my head. Um, I think the closest I've gone is my shoulder. Um, but the way the throws are developed in order to get the maximum efficiency, you're rolling your body over, um, as to get them on their back, because that's the point of the sport is to throw them on their back. Um, and well, in a training environment, uh, for judo, if you throw them on the neck, you're eliminating your training partner. So, um, you can also get disqualified for, uh, spiking. So you're not actually supposed to throw them on their head. Um, now, does it happen? Yeah, but I've also seen guys countering throws by literally, instead of their back hitting, they'll bounce off their head and then land back on their feet. Watch Ooh. the little, they're incredible acrobats. Um, I'd say like the lower divisions, like um, like in the 60, 70 kilo um, range, you'll see some some crazy acrobatics in their, in their, um, their game. Oh, wow. Now, I'm going to put you back into this situation because I just saw this, this. This happened last week, I think, in Southern California, where a woman went into an elevator. The man came out of the elevator, decided to go back in the elevator and sexually assault her. What are the, if any of these three would be the best, or is there something else you would recommend for that person? Because at that point, like you said, you don't have a lot of space. Um, and even jujitsu in itself, um, the, uh, for that situation, I would highly recommend jujitsu for women. I would highly recommend if you're only going to pick one do jujitsu, um, 
because the most attacks, um, my, my data is, is a decade old, um, but the stats that I got from like 2010, 2011, um, were they're sexually assaulted on the ground. Um, so how, knowing how to move on the ground to prevent that is, is the, the primary reason why you're taking it for self-defense. So that would be it. Um, judo again has, has Nawaza, which is their, their form of ground fighting. Um, but again, it's very limited, um, because the primary uh, point of judo is the throw, uh, wrestling. Um, I think in order to be, uh, proficient in wrestling, to use it as self-defense for women would take a lot longer time to learn. And they're not used to being on their back. So out of those three for women, I think wrestling will be third um, because they don't train on their back and jujitsu they do. Um, judo has Nawaza ground fighting incorporated, but it's a very small amount. But jujitsu, that's what it's all about. And if that's the, the end game that you're looking for is to defend yourself in a situation like that, that would be it. I guess judo might be very helpful for women as well if they're coming from behind to try to get them as well, wouldn't it? Or very. Um, and again, the the efficiency of any art is dependent on the practitioner. So, if I train for ten years but train once a month, it's not really going to do you much good. If you train a couple times a week, it's enough for you to develop a skill set that's retained. If you train five times a week you develop a skill set that becomes instinctual and that's what you're and i say five times a week and this is based off me <laughs> i used to train um 10 to 12 times a week just because i just loved the sport um i moved to do jujitsu i literally moved from uh, where i was going to school up to dallas so i could train with carlos my whole life revolved around it so i'm, I'm a little bit on the extreme side um, but I was, if, if it was self-defense for women, um, and that's what you, you want to become proficient at that to make it instinctual, I would say three times a week. Now, that's a good point. Staying on the, on the female and any guess, if you're outweighed by quite a bit, um, uh, there, I'm assuming some of them are going to start asking questions. I can't flip a guy. <laughs> On a judo throw, if he's 220 pounds and I'm 130, 120 pounds, how am I going to flip that guy? Or jiu-jitsu, how am I going to be able to, to hold him down? What's your answer to that? Angles and leverage. Um, the, the whole, it, uh, use his weight against them. You've heard that. Uh, uh, there's some truth to that. It, it's just become like a, a meme tagline. Um, but there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and I'm one of the examples. Um, I was 100 in my first tournament. I weighed in 147 pounds at six foot one. So I was bone thin. My, my nickname was Skeletor at the time. Um, you know, my mom was making fun of me saying I look like an orange with an uh, orange on top of a toothpick. So <laughs> Skeletor is pretty buff, though. So you turned that into the modern day version of Skeletor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How they meant it. <laughs> like uh, but the once you actually realize like if someone is um perfect example someone not paying attention at the edge of a pool and you just kind of tap them and they fall over 
when you actually get that first throw or first submission, um, you realize that you're not trying to fight the whole body. You're only trying to fight in judo for the throw one leg that always weights on and get him off balance on that because his mass is, and again, it's not going after the, the strongest part, but it's actually going after the weakest part. So for jujitsu, um, I'm not attacking his body. I'm attacking his elbow or his shoulder or his wrist or his knee. I'm not attacking his leg. I'm not attacking, you know, his, his upper body. I'm specifically going after uh, his neck, his shoulder, elbow, wrist, hip, knee, the joints themselves. So, and you're placing your entire body on that. So if you can imagine how much pressure it takes to start um, feeling pain in your elbow, I mean, it's what, seven, eight pounds before you start feeling it. So if you can imagine a woman that's 130 pounds, how much force can they generate by just bridging their hips? You see what I mean? So they could easily generate hundred pounds of, of force. And if they apply that to the elbow, well, it doesn't matter how big you are. You have 130 pounds versus whatever you can curl. So unless that person can curl 130 pounds uh, on a dynamic active resistance, then that's very rare. And we're also talking like worst case scenario, right? So it also plays with variables. How important is it for a woman? Then let's say a woman goes to your studio or you, if, if not in Texas, if they have to go somewhere else. Again, folks, we're talking to Alan Shabaro at CombatBaseTexas.com. If you have somebody, a woman who's a 125, 130, after they get to a certain degree, would you match her up with a blue belt or higher male so she gets used to dealing with somebody who's heavier, who's stronger to be able to work that or no? <laughs> I don't have to. They usually target them. Oh. <laughs> like, oh. Once they start developing that confidence, it's kind of crazy. Um, but once they develop that confidence, they're just like, hey, you want to go? You want to go? And they really don't care. Um now I do have the ones that are kind of like so eager though, they'll, they'll, Hey, you know, there's a, I have a, like a 280 pound black belt. Um, and he's six foot two, um, super nice guy though. He rolls like a teddy bear. Um, but even someone that rolls like a teddy bear, that's a black belt that knows how to move. Um, they're always just a higher chance for injury just because of sheer size. Not that they're trying to, but if the person rolls and, and say they have the, he's rolling with that female and he rolls a certain way, uh, loses footing or doesn't even realize the leg is there at a certain position and just lays down on it, it could be enough force and pressure to injure the person. So I don't want to put them in a situation where I know they're going to get injured in order for them to get the experience. I want them to get experience based off the multitude of different people and if that situation comes up, they'll be able to uh, rationalize and, and make uh, decisions based off the skill sets they have developed. Now, tell me a little bit about no-gi and how that would it all fit in, because it sounds like that's a pretty cool idea, especially since most of the time we're not walking around in gis, but we have gi-like clothes on, as yep. we mentioned earlier. You can grab belt buckles and, and through, uh, belt buckles, but belt loops and things of that nature. Tell us about the no-gi training that you do. Um, so the nogi is, is, is a, is a necessity. <laughs> um, you have, especially in this community, you have this whole, uh, you know, gi versus no, uh, nogi. You need both. Um, I rarely, if ever compete in nogi. 
Um, the last one I did, I think was like seven years ago. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal way. It's, it's its own sport pretty much. Um, even though it's still jujitsu, um, but it doesn't have, um, it's, it's closer to wrestling, um, kind of family lineage in a sense, um, where, uh, the wrestling background would be extremely beneficial to Nogi um, for grips, control, uh, movement. Um, but if you take that wrestler and put a gi on them, all of a sudden they're they're it's almost like they're they put a straight jacket on them and they're they're suffocating in it. Um, some of the best wrestlers I've, I've worked with, like put this on, they're like, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> they just do it um, because it changes the entire dynamic of the of of the sport. So it is a necessity um, because of grips uh, when you don't have the, uh, if you try to grab the lapel and you miss, um, it, it's, there's a lot of um, uh, very quick decisions that you have to make in, in order to complete technique, especially if you have a very dynamic uh, uh, opponent. So being able to um, just as comfortably grab onto the gi. Oh, he he dodged that. Grab onto the neck instead, or snap down the neck like wrestling, um, or changing the angle, getting low, keeping your head up. You know, these things are are ingrained in wrestlers, ingrained in them. So taking that, you already have a a really solid foundation for jujitsu. So you could quickly make it up the ranks um, where they normally have uh, the the wall that they hit is when they start um, trying to play guard, which is half of uh, the jiu-jitsu game. So that's usually when they hit their wall and they kind of like slowly build themselves up because that was the one part that is, is absolutely missing. Um, but other than that, the, the wrestling um, uh, techniques and, and grips and, and strategies that wrestlers have can very easily be applied to Nogi. Now that's that's really fascinating because I have noticed in watching a lot of videos and competition, especially jujitsu. You're right. There's a whole different ball game when it comes to gi or no gi because the gi really has become a lot of grabbing of the gi, as you mentioned a long time ago in the interview, going underneath, grabbing, pulling this, turning it around. A lot of it's using the gi. I've seen people hold on to the the, the, the bottom of the pants leg of the gi to keep them from going from one spot to another. And I'm looking at that going. Wow. Okay. That's different. You try that with no gi, you're not getting very far unless you're wearing pants. Um, but I guess it's still very effective on the street because you can still grab their pants. That person's not moving anywhere. If you grab the bottom uh, part of the leg there, but it's I guess also other... oh, go ahead. Uh, being able to establish the, so grips and especially judo jujitsu are absolutely paramount. If you watch high level judo, you'll see usually it's the first person that established grips that usually gets to win. Um, oh. But the other factor of it that's very realistic is the friction. So in judo or uh, in jiu-jitsu in the gi, when you're um, trying to apply an armbar, um, you have the pants um, that, uh, on your legs that are wrapping around their arm, which has a sleeve. So the, the uniform itself will create a bite, um, very difficult to slip out of, versus in no gi, you have to have a different type of control because there is no friction. So they'll be able to slip out of things 
very easily if you don't know what you're doing and how to hold properly. So, but if you take that no-gi tactic uh, um, and those same situations and, uh, and know how, to, and if you know how to do that and you apply it to gi, oh crap, it's like you know, supercharging your game. So you have to know both. You, you absolutely do. I am a firm believer in that. That's interesting. I know some people are going to say, well, wait a minute. You know, if I do, if I'm in the fight in the street, I'm going to put them in an arm bar or I'm going to choke them out. <laughs> Usually you get a lot of that. But I've heard others say, you're not really looking for a submission on mm -hmm. the street. You're looking more for a restraint. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I hate to be difficult on this, but it would depend on the situation. Um, sure. Numbered, I'm out. <laughs> if it's what? If you're outnumbered? If I'm outnumbered, I'm out. Um, I'll try to make an example out of one of them so I can take off. Um, what about one-on-one? -on -one? The guy is drunk, takes a swing at you. Would you recommend restraint? Yeah. Um, working in night industry, um, had a lot of situations like that. And unfortunately, most of the time people are drunk. It's it's usually, you know, they, why they're being an asshole is because they're drinking. Um, but when I was first into that industry, uh, those are on the same time I was fairly new at jujitsu, um, probably like six years, seven years in. And, um, the skill set that I had and I was applying was too much, <laughs> um, because, uh, I, I, out of like instinct right away, choking them and I choke them out and I'm like, Oh shit, you know, <laughs> um, now I got to wait for them to come to people think that I killed them, you know, so it's, and there's a crowd and nowadays everyone's got a phone, everyone's recording. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot more into it than a controlled environment, like in sport. Um, and you have to keep in mind, you know, being on the ground, uh, using traditional jujitsu, um, techniques, you're trying to avoid as well, because I don't, and this is me. I don't want to be on the ground um, on my back. I don't want, I want to, I want to be dominant on top. I want to pin them on the ground. Um, I always want to be the guy on top, no matter what. I want to be on top, especially in street. I can be aware of, of other dangers that are coming um, and be able to do something about it. Um, I can disengage um, and, and book if I need to, but um, the traditional guard game in a uh, street self-defense, I, I would highly uh, advise against. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that as I continue, I've analyzed hundreds and hundreds of street fights and you just brought up a great point. And I always ask the tough questions and now this is just complicated questions, right? What situation like you mentioned earlier, but when I see situations one-on-one, -on -one, I can see jiu-jitsu wrestling working very well, as you just mentioned now, if you're clear, <laughs> nobody else is around you. But like you said, if you get two, which is that video that just came out a couple of days ago, you, well, you probably don't see it, but there's a video out there. I think he's an MMA guy or something. And these two guys were drunk and they were trying to circle him and whatnot. He couldn't take him to the ground because <laughs> the other guy's going to pound on him from above. So what he did was a kick and he ended up doing a, a roundhouse, I think, or something like that, knocking the one guy down, almost out. Then the other guy kind of backed off, decided I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> anymore but i guess the question to you now is some of the ones we talked about today judo jiu-jitsu wrestling those seem to be more compromised in a situation when it's two on one three on one 
and I get it. Well, you, you, if you can run, run is always the best thing. Is you don't know if they have knives or guns or whatever else is going to happen. But if you're stuck with two, would striking be something you offer as well in your courses or no? So I don't offer that in my academy, um, but it, I, I always um, encourage people if they have the time and they have the the willingness to learn. Absolutely, Muay Thai. Um, mm. Because it, it not only incorporates um, striking distance, like with a boxer, um, but it also incorporates um, what boxers normally can't throw in, um, and utilizing knees and elbows. Um, and the way that it's taught, if you have a good Muay Thai instructor, especially, is the uh, the ability to generate so much power um, through your core is is unbelievable. Um, uh, I turned with, uh, some, uh, when I went to Thailand in 2002, the, most of the guys were on average between 150 to 165 pounds. Um, but I mean, they would bruise my arms holding pads, you know, when I was, when I was holding, <laughs> I mean, through the pads, my arms were bruised. Um, but also gives you that basic of that, that close, like an elevator fight. If you stand up Muay Thai, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but even a striking situation with multiple attackers, if yes, um, it would be probably better um, to have a striking knowledge, uh, multiple attackers. Um, but I've also seen, you know, uh, some videos of a, a guy um, that was on number two. I think this was in England or something um, and literally threw one guy and it was a one on one fight after that, because you have to keep in mind when we throw we're throwing thinking there's a mat so if you throw somebody and it's not a mat it's concrete and they don't know how to fall which is really important you got to know how to fall <laughs> um you could really injure them i mean really bad um and this guy looked i mean he was all folded up in a position where he looked like he was dead i mean his arm was kind of folded over his head and he was kind of looking into the distance i mean just from his body position, he was not moving. There was so much other stuff going on, but I just kept watching that guy going, is that guy dead? <laughs> and he handled himself great. I mean, the other guy kind of saw what he did to the other one, didn't want any part of it. And, you know, threw a couple of haymakers uh, just to kind of like show that, you know, that he was still in the fight. And once he missed twice, then he kind of like backed down and kind of like went back to his friend, and, you know, the video ended. So, um, but I've seen, I've seen several situations where there was no striking involved, multiple opponents, and them doing just fine. That's a great point. Yeah, I could see that with judo. You flip one guy, hurt him, like you said. If landing on concrete, you're in, it's a whole different world than a pad. And if you don't and, know how to land. And it's a lot easier to explain, too. I mean, so if you have someone that's videotaped it, um, you know, it, it's very much can be explained as a defensive move. You know, they came at me and utilize that to, you know, throw them. And you can, and when you analyze a video like that, you can definitely see who the first assailant is. Um, you know, whoever's reaching up to grab the person first. So if a guy comes at you with, you know, with the intent to grab, well, and, and judo, you already kind of, it's called that, that, that kazushi. And, you know, so they're reaching, they're already off balance. Well, that's what we're looking for in judo. So it's a perfect opportunity. Um, but it's also great to have, um, if someone is um, recording the situation, um, it shows that they are 
the one that's you know with the aggressive intent right into the spider's lair there went the minute they try to grab you <laughs> bad news again folks we're talking to alan shabar over at combat base texas.com check it out combat base texas.com i guess in our last few minutes together as we go through this one of the reasons i asked that is because you're right the world changed a lot with video cameras liability is a bigger issue some states more so than others other states are going to have an easier chance to to win on self-defense cases others may even say well wait a minute alan you got a black belt you should know better and they start going after you on that even though you're the victim um that's interesting because that's, that makes life now more complicated. I see some areas, some states are treating civilians almost like law enforcement, where law enforcement can't punch back necessarily if the person's being held down. And today it's really similar. <laughs> it's dangerous to strike. And keep in mind, self-defense for women um, kind of goes into different categories. Uh, mm. Self-defense and kind of goes in different category for kids. Um, but also keep in mind, like, for example, jujitsu, in my experience, is literally the most compassionate of all martial arts, um, because if you have somebody in a, in a strangle or if you have somebody in an armbar or shoulder lock, you can uh, diminish the amount of pressure that you're having. Like, hey, man, hey, 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 hey talk to me. Talk to me. You're right. I'm going to let you up. And if you start to squirm again, you can apply more pressure. Calm them down. Hey, slow down, bud. You know, you know, I'm gonna let you up, but not if you're gonna keep acting that way. And you can really control the situation that way, and and to the point where you can actually have them being a very um, um, focused listener. <laughs> and they will comply a lot better, realizing that they're in a bad spot. They know they're not gonna get out, and they kind of realize, okay, he's letting me up. I'm good. Um, and I've managed to squash a lot of different conflicts like that. Just like, I'm, I'm going to let you up. Let's talk about this. Okay. Just chill out. And almost always they try to take that opportunity to try to squirm out of it real fast. And I'm like, all right, all right. Now you're going to calm down. Okay. Let you up. All right. You good. All right. Now what's the problem? <laughs> and then it develops from there. Um, uh, kind of like what you're saying, you know, the different standard and, um, <sighs> I, th I used to think about that a lot. I don't really think about that that much now, hmm. uh, mainly because I've trained so much um, and I do this all the time. And I, that's a sound you know, arrogant in the sense, but I get paid to do this. Why do I want to waste my time with this guy that's, that's mouthing off? You know, so it's so easy for me to walk away when someone's yelling, you know, trying to be confrontational and just mid sentence, I just turn around and walk. Um, and to me, it's just not worth it. Uh, and a lot of the people that I hear a lot of stories from some of my guys, um, the last one most recently was about three months ago um, saying that, yeah, they were coming out of a club they were going to grab something to eat. And, you know, there was some other people at the, you know, that were drunk, that were at the same restaurant outside and, they were trying to, you know, confront him and he was just kind of just nodded his head, just walked away, you know, and I thought that was phenomenal because he had developed his confidence so much realizing like, you know what, I'm going to lose no matter what I do. If I get in a fight with this guy and I whoop his ass, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to have to deal with that. And the other side, well, if I get into it, something happens that I'm not aware of, I'm going to get my ass whooped. So it's a lose-lose no matter what. 
So why would you want to put yourself in that position? You're absolutely right. The best defense I always think is, is run away, get out of there. <laughs> don't sit around if you can. You really don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. That's a great point. I guess my last question, this is kind of a conversation. Oops, sorry. Uh, both ways. So you don't know what's going to happen because let's say your, your, your judo is that effective and you hurt the guy. You see what I mean? So yeah, it was defense, but you're like, well, why didn't you do it so hard? I'm like, well, I didn't. He just came at me that hard, you know, but you're going to have to explain that. So it's just, it's not worth it. Financial cost isn't worth it. And you know, the interesting two thing, Alan, is if I saw this the other day, somebody was fighting, I forgot what he did. I think he punched the guy. The guy fell down, hit his head on the sidewalk or something like that. The story you always hear people tell you about, and this actually happened, the guy ended up dying. And now you have to deal with that in court. But also the part people don't talk about is the psychological part. You just killed somebody and you weren't trying to, <laughs> even though you're in self-defense, that still gets to some people for sure. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question as we wrap up here. Um, this one made me think as you were talking, I interviewed a couple of guys over the last few weeks, on a very difficult topic, which was uh, human trafficking and child exploitation and kidnapping. We know that most kidnappings are usually done by a family member, usually parents, custody issues, about 80% or something like that. They're pretty high, but the ones with the strangers. So I guess my question is if you have a 10 or 11 or 12 year old and they have an adult who's trying to take them, which defense, which self-defense would you recommend, if any? And I guess, and I'll ask you the next question after that, I guess. Oh, um, it's a tough one, I know. Yeah, um, because I'm of the belief that, especially with kids, um, women and kids especially, but men as well, um, is preventive versus reactionary. So, um, I don't teach women self-defense. Um, yeah, I don't have like a, a, a course for that. I don't, I don't teach weekend seminars. I'm actually a big believer against that. Um, and I mean like those two day courses and the reason being, and I, and I catch a lot of shit for this. Um, but the reason being is that there is no skill set that you can have under an emergency that you can possess only after training it for three, four hours. And it's not even, you're not even familiarized with it. But what ends up happening is um, you end up recollecting some of the techniques. You end up trying to pause to remember them, or you put yourself in a worse situation because you thought that was what you're supposed to do because you were not even proficient at it. Um, the, the big, it's a huge thing, especially in the market. You hear this all the time. Um, this martial art you can learn and, you know, you do it for six hours and, or one weekend or whatever it is. And you, you'll remember for the rest of your life and it'll be instinct. And you'll, that is absolute horseshit. I've actually tried to find as much data as I could on that before I actually started speaking up about this. And I, I couldn't find much, but the stuff that I did find definitely shows that, um, the the ability to prevent something is much greater the the course that i teach for women um is actually a, a situational awareness 
Um, so I, I teach them like what makes them a target. Um, I got so much data on that violent crimes, um, stats and prisons. Um, they literally asked a question, um, showed them a video of a, um, it was like a really crowded supermarket, uh, parking lot. And they showed the same clip to, um, I think it was like 237 violent criminals. And out of that, they said, which, which person would you target? And, and it was overwhelming amount. I think it was like 92% pick the same people. And when they asked why, it was a very simple response. They looked like a victim. So, and, and once I kind of read that, I started developing the program off of that. Um, and what made them look like a victim, their posture, you know, the way that they're, you know, um, you see this all the time, people coming out of the grocery store, right? They don't even know where their car is parked because they're looking at their phone. They're hunched over, down. You know, their, their shoulders are rolled it in, you know, they, 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 it's a very um, passive and submissive type posture that they're, they're giving off. Um, and a lot of people aren't even aware of this. Um, the biggest pet peeve, I don't know how, how common this is uh, in the Northeast, but we have a lot of these, these families that have those stick figure families, stickers yeah. on the bar. And I, I just cringe um, and every time I do these, these seminars, I always go to the parking lot and I just quickly gather information on these stick figures. And so usually it's in the seminar. I'm like, so everyone can understand what we're doing. And, and I'll tell them, okay, so in, in five minutes in the parking lot, I was able to gain this much information. So who's driving the, the, the blue van? Okay. So I'm going to follow you one day. I'm going to know exactly who your kid is. And I'm going to know if I wanted to go, if I wanted to go back the next day, I can say, Hey, because you had a stick figure of daddy named Mark with a golf club, mommy with a, uh, doing like a yoga pose named Susie. Um, and then, you know, your, your kid, um, you know, whatever, Jacob and, you know, your brother, um, and then your, your cat moon. So I could easily just go up. And keep in mind, if it's five or six-year-old, I just follow them. I know who they are. The next day, I go there before she goes to pick them up and say, hey, uh, Moon is in the vet, uh, got hit by a car. Your dad's at the golf course, and your mom's doing yoga. And you know them all by name. Why wouldn't the kid go with you? Good point. And when they start realizing how much damage a small thing like that does, then they can start understanding, okay, I need to be, it kind of opens their eyes of, of, of the things that they just weren't aware to. Um, things like um, if they're stepping when they're being followed, it's not something that is like super, uh, you know, you see the spy movies all the time, but, and yes, originally I did get it from a uh, surveillance and counter surveillance course, but, you know, stair-stepping when you're driving is literally something that you can do every day. And the example that I always like to throw, there was a woman in Plano here in Texas. Um, the year that I moved back, um, her ex-husband um, or this lady um, got a divorce, moved, changed jobs, everything. He ended up finding out where she was at and literally just tailed her. And she took the same route every night. And he did that for about a week. One day she just didn't come home. No one realized it. But she took this exact same route, left the exact same time. It was so predictable. So I'm not saying rearrange, you know, your entire life around that. But why not just offer or not offer, but uh, explore, you know, three or four different ways to get home. 
and before you know it, you know, you'll be more familiarized with it. Um, I especially try to encourage um, uh, this type of mentality with uh, teenagers when they're first kind of getting this. Um, knowing your, your environment, how far is the police station? How far is the hospital? Do you know how to get there? Um, between your home and work, that just from there, that's all you need to know. Um, if you feel that someone's following you, how do you know? You know, are you keeping them on this or are you on your phone when you're driving? You know, these things like that are are very simplistic and can be trained every single day where you don't have to take a class. You just have to be aware. But to be aware, you have to stop doing the things that your 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 comfort tells you to do. My my phone vibrates. I need to check it. Well, you don't need to check it. You need to check your rear view mirror. So these are the things that it's that you're battling to try to get them to realize um, how simplistic certain things can be, but how difficult it can to break habit in order to have something as important as uh, situational awareness or understanding situational awareness. Man, you hit a lot of great points. It's interesting because I know disinformation is the biggest thing we see, and, and societies are to blame. There's a lot of, we see a lot of that, uh, how would you say, drive through mentality for a lot of industries, not just self defense. You take two day course for this, but you, you take a day of course for the guns, you take a day course for this, take a take for that. Everything is just quick, 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 quick. Watch a two minute video and you can do it too, kind of thing. And, um, what? Instant gratification. Exactly. It's really overwhelming society. I just wonder how much longer I'm hoping more and more people, I am starting to see it in certain industries where more and more people are actually going to the pros and then realizing, okay, I wasted a hundred bucks for that two hour course because it didn't teach me anything now that I'm here and with the, with a professional learning how to do this. Cause I've heard those comments every so often. So Hopefully those will start growing when people start doing those things and realize, no, you really, but you need a lot more time commitment for some of these things, not years, but a lot more than two days or two hours. The other thing you made an interesting point too, is um, changing up your routines, as you mentioned, uh, and the uh, adolescents as well, getting ready to be able to defend themselves, which is something in today's world that we need to be really careful with. And you should, in your place, Combat Base Texas, you work with all ages or? Uh, start at five. Start at five, okay. Uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty low. That's about as low as you can go. <laughs> and I mean, we actually have uh, the next one coming. We have a situational awareness for kids as well. Um, and it's instead of doing jujitsu, um, we go over things like, how do you get out of a trunk? How do oh, you wow. put out a these are very realistic things that unfortunately I do have to get a waiver signed by the parents for them to participate in. And I, I, I do prefer the parents be there, especially for the trunk, <laughs> because it, it seems like um, almost archaic, you know, in mentality, like, why would you, well, because you don't want your kid to be there for the first time trying to figure it out. You know, if that happens, um, you know, how to, you know, put on a tourniquet, yeah, if and the, the, with as without getting into politics, with the amount of gun problems that we're having, and I mean in general with the shootings, um, it's a very, very much higher chance, probable uh, probability that you're going to have to have that skill set at some point in time of your life. And so, why wouldn't you want to have your ten or twelve year old that's physically and mentally mature enough to be able to? Um, 
uh, handle the situation, why not give them develop that skill set now? So if it's ever needed for the parent or for them later on, they know how. And we're just talking very basic things, um, but still get uh, the same response with the high eyebrows going, what? You want to do what? <laughs> but once they, I kind of explain the situation, most, well, I think all the parents have been on board. Yeah, they're absolutely right. Because psychologically, it's so different when it's the first time. That's not the time you want it. Like, I think I've had this conversation with some other people before on, on self-defense. I had to phrase this carefully. <laughs> I just remember the first time I ever got punched. It, it, it knocks you for a loop for a second. You, you're thrown off. And I always tell people, that's one of the benefits you get for the first time if you ever get punched, is to kind of feel it. I'm not saying you get hit by Tyson, but when you get tagged, it startles you. Because <laughs> I remember when I got hit the first time, like years ago, years ago, I just kind of stood there thinking, what the hell was that? And then he tagged me again and tagged me again. It was my coach. And then I thought, and he starts yelling at me, you better fight back. You're going to keep getting tagged. And then finally I started punching back. And then I realized after a while, okay, not a big deal. I can keep getting tagged and keep moving along. But that very first time, it's not the time you want. It was not the street when you get tagged. Because then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose for you. Yeah, uh, and it, it's not necessarily, and that's a, such a great point. Um, I've seen that in the military. Um, it, 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 you have a person that has a high amount of training but never been in the situation, no experience in that environment. Um, that shot goes off, and all of a sudden, they kind of like just freeze into place. Like, what do I do? You know, shoot back. <laughs> okay. And, and then all of a sudden, they snap out of it, you know, but, but they're, they just – it's that that break into you know hearing that you know colloquial you know the gun go off you know for like the sprinters you know and the same thing it's breaking free of that you know so you can you know utilize the skill sets that you have and a lot of people have and this is one of those things where you have uh, like the whole debates of uh, competitive shooters versus um, people who have actually been in combat you know are, are those things things still affected well, you talk to a lot of the pro shooters, they're like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. You know, they're shooting back this entire different, you know, uh, scenario. You know, I'm shooting a paper, you know, and they, they because they're very open about it, very honest. No, I've never been a cop. I never had someone shoot at me. I'm sure that things would change because right now they're just going through the course. No, they're not going to be shot at. So, and that's realistic. Um, but it's the sport, too. It's in that's what it was designed for. It's an environment with a controlled set of rules for that, I meaning for that environment. Um, but for same thing with fighting, you know, Mike Tyson said, uh, said it best, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, you know, and it, it holds true. You know, once you hear, feel the reality, feel the reality, um, it sets in and hopefully sets in for a lifetime where you like, you know what? I need to do something about that. You know, I can't agree more. Again, folks, I highly recommend it. If you've never done any martial arts, if you've never done any fighting, not to get punched in the face, but <laughs> if you go to a place to learn how to feel when somebody's on top of you, somebody's controlling you for that first time in a, in a safe environment where you can learn how to get out of it, there's nothing like it. It's like Alan says, you don't want to experience that the first time on the streets or in a, in a bad situation. 
And it also helps so much with proprioception, learning how to move yourself, as you mentioned earlier, how to move your hips and shift your weight and things of that nature. You get so much more in tune with your body and yourself as well. I guess my last question for you, Alan, before we wrap up is fitness. Anything you would recommend for people to, if they're going to start with you or to improve themselves with jujitsu or judo, should they be running 10 miles a day? Should, what should they do or anything at all? Um, so the, if you're going to be competitive, I would highly recommend, um, strength training, um, everything that goes into it, um, other than jujitsu, I would recommend, um, explosive, uh, weight training, like Olympic style, weight, uh, weightlifting, um, you know, uh, high intensity training, uh, to, to, to build your strength, to build your speed, because in a competitive match, you're, you're going up against someone who's your age, your weight. Uh, it's kind of like NASCAR, right? You're just trying to find the, the, the skill set that comes above everyone having the same, right? So you're a blue belt, you're a blue belt, which one, which blue belt is better? Yes. You, there are going to be some that have more experience than others, but if you have someone that's, you know, uh, more athletic, they could, overwhelm that technique because again they have a, a it, we're not talking about someone who has no technique we're talking about people that do have a skill set and are complementing it with you know strength speed or mobility because someone who's very flexible is very difficult to submit because they can bend in all these different directions so it's a skill set in itself now you have a lot of people like well you're just strong and that's why you're getting it well, you're just flexible. So I'm not going to apologize for being strong. Um, but you have a lot of debate on that as well. Like, oh, he's just strength. Well, you still have to have skill set or not. Jiu-Jitsu is worthless because anyone stronger can win. So that argument fails. I'd say more in a competitive manner. I mean, being stronger is can't. I don't find any negative part in being stronger in life. <laughs> So I don't think it's going to, it's, it's going to make every aspect of your life better. So I would always encourage it. But if you're just in jujitsu, do you need to? No. Um, I would always, the first thing I would tell people is clean up your diet. That would be the very first thing. Um, because no matter what type of weight trend, no matter what type of sport you're into, if you eat like shit, you're going to perform like shit. I mean, if I put vinegar oil and, you know, and vinegar and oil in my gas tank, you know, I'm not going to get very far in my car. So if you're constantly, you know, stuffing your face with McDonald's and you're wondering why you can't do good at jujitsu, well, there's your first solution. Um, but weight training, not, not unless you're like competitive and yet or you have the time, um, I would always advise it, but I don't feel it's um, like necessary to develop um, a skill set. I mean, I know guys that have been doing jujitsu that are like longer than me and never lifted, um, but they're in great shape. They really are. Um, because I mean, if you're actually training hard, um, while you're in, uh, in your facility, that's a lot because that's, that's, um, cardio, um, cardiovascular, um, and endurance you're doing, um, aerobic activity, you're doing anaerobic activity, um, uh, and for a long duration. So for weight loss or for health Yes, it's a kind of like a one-stop shop skill set, getting back in shape, but it won't change your diet. 
Fascinating stuff, folks. It doesn't seem like Al and I can ever talk under two hours for some reason. <laughs> Every time we get together, it's at least a two-hour conversation. Again, folks, go to CombatBaseTexas.com, CombatBaseTexas.com. Alan, thank you so much again for doing this. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. It's a great seeing you. Great. Hopefully, everybody in here enjoyed the, the conversation as much as I did and learned just as much as I did. Check out CombatBaseTexas.com. And, folks, you know what? Again, if you've never been in combat or never trained with anybody, check out, at least get into some martial art program. Check it out. See how you like it. Make sure it's a reputable school, too. If you have any inf- any questions on that, you can always email us and find out who we recommend in your area. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know, we like it. <laughs>